You're listening to Parenting Our Future. I'm parenting expert, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in all different areas of your parenting so you can create strong connections with your kids, get all the cooperation you want, and live a life that is full of joy and connection. And by the way, the tools and solutions that you're looking for in your parenting don't just live in each episode of my show. They're also in my free membership site, The Parent Toolbox, where you can access tools created by myself and my brilliant guests that cover everything from helping your kids to sleep, managing meltdowns, reducing overwhelm to getting your kids to listen the first time and so much more. Join The Parent Toolbox so you can download and use the tools that are ready on the site and Each week, a brand new tool is added. And of course, the best part is it's absolutely free to join and to stay in. You can go to www.parent-toolbox.com today. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to share with you another podcast that I think you're going to find really interesting. It's called Didn't I Just Feed You? It's a weekly candid conversation about feeding our families, even for parents who hate to cook. Hosts Stacey Billis and Megan Splawn are two food professionals who get real about feeding kids, tweens, and teens because they're also busy working moms, so they get it. They talk about how to turn things like nachos into a legit family dinner, to the magic of meatballs, to solving the after-school snack problem, even reducing kitchen waste and debt all at once. They chat with guests from Food Network stars to everyday moms who, let's be honest, are the real experts. In fact, Didn't I Just Feed You is a staple on the iTunes Top 100 Food Podcasts and the only food podcast made with parents in mind. Stacey and Megan are on a mission to make cooking easier, more delicious, and maybe even a little bit more fun. Find Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Now, you can also find Stacey and Megan on Instagram and Facebook as at Didn't I Just Feed You. Now let's dive into this next episode of Parenting Our Future. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Parenting Our Future. Okay, uh, we're, we're talking about connection here. We're talking about kids who are not neurotypical and how do we connect with them? Because boy, there are some days it is so hard. And I have a really wonderful expert who's going to really help us navigate this because she's been through it herself, is going through it herself. And she works with parents to help them really connect with their kids who are not neurotypical. And we're going to talk all about what that means and, you know, all of that stuff. So I am so happy to welcome Dr. Noreen Russell, who began Russell coaching for students students in 2009. She's now a premier national coaching practice for middle schools through to college students with students across the U.S. and Canada. Her passion for providing support to frustrated students and wary parents is fueled by her own experience of raising two complex children who are both neurologically atypical. Uh, Dr. Russell knows firsthand the exhaustion parents face as they day in and day out seek solutions for their out-of-the-box children. The entire team at Russell Coaching is committed to supporting the psychological well-being, education, and family life of their clients. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Maureen. So nice to have you here. I'm thrilled to be here. Wow. Absolutely. And, you know, it's so, there's just this comfort when you can talk to somebody else who understands your struggle. 
you know, I, I got, I have to tell you, you know, for years I struggled in silence, not knowing what was going on with my kiddo and blaming myself. Right. And, you know, being so ashamed uh, and embarrassed when I went to his class at school, you know, I, I like, I don't think there's been one teacher I haven't cried in front of, you know, and, and, and the experience that I always had was, you know, teachers and, staff really sort of saying, well, here's the problem, you know, like, what are you going to do about it? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So here's the thing. When we have neurotypical kids, neuro atypical kids, first and foremost, what does that mean? Uh, let's just talk about that. Okay. So I think that phrase initially got um, popularized to talk about autism. Um, and for a while, it had this very specific connotation that atypical meant autism. And then, you know, there's a TV show called Atypical, and, and that, you know, has um, a main character with autism. I think of atypical, neurologically atypical kids as kids who are wired in some way that isn't the norm, okay? okay. So those are kids with autism, sure. Those are also kids with ADHD. They're kids with learning differences and learning disabilities. You really could even, and this is up to you, you know, you could stretch it to even say, I think kids with mood disorders and other psychiatric disorders could be considered atypical because we know there is this strong neurological component to mood disorders. So when we say neurologically atypical, that's what I'm talking about today is kids with autism, ADHD, anxiety, depression, learning differences, giftedness, um, cognitive impairments, and um, those who really just think in a way that's out of the box that would be characterized with a diagnosis of some kind. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. And, you know, here's the thing, I, I, I say this all the time. I have to, I, it bears repeating. It's hard enough to raise a typical child, let alone a child with a diagnosis or multiple diagnoses. Cause you and I both know that usually where there is one, there's usually more than that. Right. And so, you know, you know, looking at what your kids have struggled with and what you've struggled with, you know, because of that, um, your kids um, diagnosis includes autism, mood disorders, ADHD, giftedness and learning differences. Yeah. 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 And of course, I have a child with ADHD learning differences as well plus anxiety, depression, and OCD, which is really serious. You know, I, I, I always get frustrated when I hear people say, oh, it's just my OCD. It's like, no, 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 you don't know. You don't know what it really is, right? Because uh, it's debilitating. It's debilitating for some kids, right? And here's the thing, like these kiddos, we love them so much, but these, the way their brain works, I'm just going to say it, it makes it hard to really connect with them. It makes it really hard to, to love them sometimes. And I hate to say it like that, but it is a challenge some days, right? So what it, yeah, it, let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, and I, I think there are a couple things in what you've just said that are so important for the parents who are listening. First of all, these things 
more often than not, statistically, more than half the time they come with a friend. So, you know, (laughs) you might be fortunate if we can use that term to have a kid who just has anxiety or just has ADHD. But most of the time for people who don't realize this yet, if you have a child with one, usually even if they feel like kind of an invisible friend at this point, you haven't figured it out, there's usually something else. So I think that's worth acknowledging for your listeners is that we're not dealing with one thing. We're more than half the time dealing with more than one thing. And as you've made your list and you've read my list, sometimes it can be four or five things. That's a complex child, right? And so I really, I want to talk today about acknowledging how difficult that is as an individual parent, as a mom or dad to figure your kid out and how much time and energy that takes to understand your kid. When your kid is different in some way, and there are multiple explanations for the different pieces of that, you are like an explorer, a detective, and it is hard to figure out. You may have had this experience. We got different diagnoses at different ages. And so it felt like every year we were uncovering another piece, which created a little bit of grief and loss about, oh, another diagnosis, but then also created hope because Once I was able to put on my autism glasses, I was like, oh, this behavior makes perfect sense now and becomes more predictable and in some ways less stressful because I understand it. So I think that's one important point today is the complexity of neurologically atypical kids is very difficult to understand even by parents who have these kids in the beginning of their parenting journey. It's infinitely more difficult for a teacher, especially if you have a kid who kind of can look typical in some ways or seem typical on some days, then we run into a lot of issues at school because the assumption starts to be, well, if they tried harder. So we're gonna get into that later, I know, but I guess I I want to say for parents, give yourself as much space as you need and give yourself as much time as you need to be the detective and to process multiple diagnoses and, and, and give yourself permission to acknowledge how difficult it is because it really is very difficult. You know, I think the other part of what you've said is that This is extraordinarily difficult for our kids also. They feel different. They experience the world differently. They feel disconnected from us and the world sometimes too. And so this is stressful. You take a family unit where the parent is trying to figure the kid out. The kid is experiencing the world differently than a lot of their peers around us. It's just a lot of stress. Mm. Oh my gosh. So I want to, I want to just talk a little bit about what you said. So, um, you know, taking time to figure them out. Yes. And um, it takes time and it takes years, right? It's not going to just take a minute. 
and, and, and I think the things that come up that make it so hard for us is having family members that don't understand, that want to judge you, judge your child. We've experienced that. Uh, reject your child. Um, and, you know, I, I remember, like, I didn't know how to parent him. I just didn't know. I just had no idea, which is why I do the work that I do now. But I remember my mom cutting out articles from the newspaper on why yelling was dangerous and why yelling was a bad idea. I'm like, mom, I know, but I don't know what else to do to get through to him, right? And so enter shame, right? Deep, deep shame because I am not the mom that I wanted to be, right? And I I don't have the kid that I want or like or thought I would have. I mean, that's that's very deep. That's that goes very like into the, the heart of who we are as women, as moms, you know, speaking of, from a mom's perspective. Dad's, you know, my husband's been through lots with that, you know, as as a, as a couple together. But I mean, you have to mourn the loss of the child who you thought you were going to have. And you have to mourn the loss of the parent who you thought you would be, right? Don't you agree? Like you need to just oh. take the time to just like okay, this is where we are and this is not what I expected, you know? 100%. I mean, think about when you were carrying this baby. Did you ever think, gosh, I can't wait to meet my little boy with ADHD. I can't wait to meet my daughter with Asperger's. I can't wait to meet my kid who by the age of six is so terribly depressed that he needs medication and therapy. Did any of that cross your mind as you were carrying a child? No. You went through screening, you know, they yep. measured the nuchal fold, they measured the proportions of the limbs, they looked at the heart chamber. It never in nine months crossed my mind that we would have an atypical child, much less two, despite the fact that both our families are full of these things. It never <laughs> crossed my mind. It really didn't. I mean, and so you just... I think the default mode is I'm going to have a baby, you know, am I going to be a good parent? You know, you, you don't ever think, oh, what's my kid with ADHD going to be like? And how am I going to parent that kid? I think that part is so hard and it requires, there's no one but you who can give yourself permission to grieve that loss and recognize at the same time that you can be more in love with this little person than you ever dreamed, that it is not an either or choice. Both things are simultaneously incredibly strong. And I think it's important for parents to realize that no one else is going to give you that permission. You have to give yourself permission to say, it's okay to be sad that this part is hard while also holding true to the fact that I would literally lay down in front of a Mack truck for this kid and happily give my last dollar to his therapist, right? Both things are true. And the fact that you have strong feelings of sadness or regret or guilt don't make you a bad parent for this child in, in any way, you know? Um, and I think the other piece, and I want to comment on this, and I'm not sure if this is kind of the right place in, in your flow, but one thing that I have struggled with is 
other people seeing this as temporary. Like I'll never forget saying to um, a, a preschool acquaintance when, when my son was eight, you know, Ethan's doing really well right now. And she said to me, all that worrying that you did for nothing. And I thought, you know, this is kind of what typical experiences are like, right? You worry about the kid and they turn out to be typical. They turn out to not have a problem fitting into the school box. They turn out to be adept at learning the way school asks them to. They turn out to not have such bad anxiety and depression that it hampers what they can do after school. That is so great. I am so happy that that is what happens most of the time. But one of the things that I've had to come to terms with, and I think it really helped to read it, is that these are chronic neurological conditions. And so it's going to wax and wane. You know, yeah. you're going to have periods of what is such a great period and peaceful times. And then you're going to have periods where it's not so good. And I think for parents who happen to be listening, who are supporting other parents, who are raising atypical kids, I think understanding how chronic these challenges are is important. Like, I'm so glad he's better now, or I'm so glad they worked it out at school. There is no end point when you have a child with ADHD, autism, a mood disorder, learning differences, they can be in a great school. They can be on a great med. They can have a great therapist. They can have a great coach, but you are still dealing with a chronic neurodevelopmental disorder. And I, and I, I, I think that that is an important piece for other people to realize, like it doesn't get better and go away at some point. Thank you for saying that. I think that's a really important piece. And I think that, um, you know, when somebody says to you, oh, all that worrying for nothing, actually, no, that was all my hard work, my dedication, my showing up to appointments, my getting him help, my fighting for him at school. That's why things are better. Thank you very much. Like if I do something bad when I say that, but it's true. And I even had to convince people like, no, it's really, really tough at home. And no, we don't see it well, okay, I'm sorry, you don't see it, but like, I'm living in hell, <laughs> you know, like, no, no joke, no, no joke. Um, and, you know, you said something to me before we even hit recording, and that is how much our kids challenge us. And it is, a, like you said, it's chronic, it's every day, it's every day. And us having to live in grace for our kids constantly. Can we talk about that, please? Because that really kind of hit me right, right in my heart, because it's very true. We forgive a lot. We let go of a lot. We have grace for our kids. And it's exhausting sometimes, because sometimes I want to jump up and down. And I want to like, you know, put my fist through a wall some days, because I just like, why can't this be easy? You know, and I want to have a pity party for myself because, and I can list, you know, I have like, you know, a list of all the things that we haven't been able to do that we can't do that our family doesn't do because of this. Right. It just is devastating sometimes. It is. It is. I, I think that there is not an understanding of the level of loss that you have, you know, as, as a family with a child yes. with multiple learning disabilities, psychiatric disorders, neurodevelopmental delays, the 
sense of loss is acute. And yeah, the grace piece, I mean, the grace that living with a human being who is wired like this requires, and then many parents are living with a parenting partner who has one or more of these things, right? And so you feel called to be superhuman in the level of grace and understanding. And you want to be in that place, right? In my heart, I want to be in that place. I want to not expect, you know, warmth, connection, reciprocity from the people I live with who have autism, but my heart still craves that, you know? And so you want to have that grace for other people and they're the people you love most in the world, but you also, the heart wants what the heart wants. You know, Mm -hmm. you, you want some of that typical life. You want a child that is not easier in the sense of less work or you're lazy, but easier, more joyful, right? Less work required to have the family experiences that are why you chose to have a child and have a family, you know, why is it so hard to just have family breakfast? You know, a couple of years ago, I was at um, my second cousin's house and I watched their family unit, three kids, two parents pull Saturday breakfast together. The family made pancakes, put placemats out, set the table, poured the juice, took butter and syrup to the table. Everyone sat down. Everyone sat quiet enough to have a blessing. And then they passed a patter of pancakes around the table. And I thought, oh, oh, (laughs) oh, This, this is how some people live. Not everyone is cooking three different breakfasts in the morning or people are eating at different times or someone's having a meltdown while someone else is eating or someone can't eat these foods because they also have food sensitivities and food allergies and one parent sleeping in because they did the nighttime shift. I mean, I was literally in awe of this experience that I had the family unit working together to put a meal on the table. That doesn't happen at my house. Oh, it doesn't happen at my house. That's a dream. That is literally a dream. That's never happened. It's never happened. We don't even, in fact, our kitchen table, the, like the table we dine at is basically decorative because nobody sits there to eat because my son can't stand to sit there. It's a huge trigger for him. So we sit at the island in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we actually do get to sit together, which isn't all the time. I, I, I'm sad. No, it's to say. not all the time. And no. so it requires so much grace and love from you as a human being. And I will say, I think my kids much more so than my marriage, my work, my own therapy, my kids have made me a better person by far than any other experience. And I'm glad, right? I wouldn't trade that for the world, but it is hard. Yeah, I agree with you. Look, I see my oldest as my greatest gift. He is the one that made me have to look at myself and 
he made me want to be a better person. And I am a better person because of him. I do have grace. I do have more emotional intelligence. I have more patience. I have all of these beautiful traits now that I didn't have before, but they were a lot of work. And, and then there are those moments where you really are like, oh, this is good stuff. Like this kiddo, like, I just love this kid. Like I went into his, his room this morning to wake him up, to get him ready for school, which he's always late for school. Right. You know, and, and, and I get it. I wouldn't want to go to school if I was him either. Right. But you know, he's just like, okay, mommy, I love you. Okay. Mom, mom, I just need to get up now, but I love you. Yes, I do love you. I'm like I got three. I love you. It's like, I mean, come on, that'll just get me going through the whole entire day. Right. Like that's all I need. And that also just shows me like that's who he really is you know so I also have to you know manage my thoughts about that right and uh and not go into fear mode like what's this gonna what's his life gonna be like you know because that's the thing these are chronic things that are always going to be present they don't just go away um yeah so and I think the grace comes from that right the grace comes from appreciating in the moment oh my gosh my kid has the biggest heart. My kid is so exceptional in the way that they love other human beings. My kid is so exceptional in their curiosity about the world. And that feeds the ability to have that grace. And, and I think that is such a important part of what you talk about when we talk about, you know, strengths-based parenting. And we talk about parenting from a place of, connection and collaboration and partnership, because when you see those strengths, I think you see a human being, you know, and you see beyond the diagnosis and the limitations and the shortcomings, those things aren't going to go away. But when you can also see the human being, that's what, for me anyway, allows me to have grace. I don't have grace all the time. Believe me, me neither. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, you know, this morning I was caught unawares. Do you want to hear my story from this morning? Yeah. Yeah. We all do. <laughs> so my son is like, just, he is made to be a civil servant. He is going to be mayor. He's going to be a firefighter. He's going to serve, you know, he's, he is, he is a leader and a servant. So he's in sixth grade this year. He got to join safety patrol. Okay. So he was the first cohort of kids who were selected for safety patrol. All I kept hearing all month was I'm September for safety patrol. I'm September. I'm September. We have to get up. We have to get to school early. Okay. That's just about freaking impossible in my house. We did it most days. (laughs) I go to bed last night. I am thrilled because do you know what today is? October 1. Yes. And do you know what that means? Yes. Which means we don't have to be at school early. We don't have to figure out the motor skill planning of putting on the vest that goes, you know, diagonally and then snaps in the back. I mean, the number of days I have driven to school coaching him, hold the badge in your left hand, Take your right hand and put the loop over your head, right? Because the motor planning skills to put on the safety thing that goes across your chest is is impossible. I'm thrilled that safety patrol is over. I'm also thrilled that my kid is a leader and a servant Mm -hmm. and cares deeply about public safety and is totally perceived at his school in that way. I'm thrilled. 
And I am thrilled that we don't have to be at school yeah. early. Come to find out that they were actually finishing the week in safety patrol. So we're driving to school. <laughs> we're not going early because in my mind, it's October. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, mom, I have to be at school in two minutes. It's the last day of safety patrol. Ugh. And I, I, I had no grace. I'm telling you, I was like, how would I have known that? There is no conceivable way I would have known that. The thing didn't say September 1 through October 1. It right. said the month of September. So forgive my own autism interpretation of that in this rigid way, but yeah. it said September. I thought it meant September. I didn't know you had to be there. I can't read your mind. And he's like, this is all your fault, which is oh. just, you know, it's anxiety. It's something mm -hmm. unexpected. He didn't connect the dots that we weren't going to be at school on time. He's crying. Mm. You know, he's super frustrated. He feels embarrassed that he's let the safety patrol mm. squad down. He's mad at me because somehow as the mom, you know, we should have somehow magically made it happen. I'm mad because I had no idea, right? Mm -hmm. I'm heading into work. I've got you know, a parent consult, I've got an interview, I've got podcasts, I've got late student appointments, even though, though it's Friday and supposed to be my day off. And I didn't have a lot of grace. Yeah, I, I really have a lot of grace. But that is what happens in families yeah. like ours all the time is something unexpected happens. Everybody wants things to go well, everyone has worked so hard. I don't know about mm -hmm. you, but I feel like I work so hard to make this family work together, right? To allow my kids to have the best life they can possibly have. And here we are on a Friday morning, crying on the way to school because somehow he was supposed to be at safety patrol, which is fine. It's not the school's fault either. I'm sure somebody told him at some point you should have safety patrol. He's time blind, you know, I get it. I get it, but it's, it was hard. Yeah. You know, I get caught in situations like that too. And I'm like, how did I not see this coming? Like, I'm not new, you know, but I think that the mental capacity that I have only gets me through what I know is happening right now, you know, and like any extra, I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how I didn't see that coming. You know, I did not even for like, what is wrong with me? Right. And my, my younger son is, is struggling right now too, with some anxiety and some depression too. And he's, uh, there was a time he was stopping going to school and we're trying to get him to school full time. He's not there yet. So some days, man. So I, my heart goes out to you. I, I feel you. And I know exactly what that's about. Right. And your son is lashing out at you, but, but, but really only because he doesn't have any other way to deal with it. Right. Because he, he's feeling embarrassed, right. Himself. He's got his own feelings, right. Embarrassed. He, you know, he doesn't maybe want to be caught out. He wants to be the best. And he feels maybe this is a measure of his worth um, in terms of safety patrol, all that kind of stuff. Right. And if it wasn't for me, mom, not remembering that I, you know, all that stuff. So I get that. It's really not personal, but it comes across as personal. And boy, when everything seems to be my fault, uh, it's just like, okay, I, I'm, I'm taking a break because I don't feel so loving right now, right? Well, and this is what I was thinking about all morning as I was thinking about your podcast and I was thinking about, 
you know, your parenting philosophy that you work with families on and, and what are those core values and how do we move away from some of the earlier patterns and habits of prior generations, right? And this idea of understanding, empathy and connection. And, you know, I try to not spend a lot of time beating myself up. We've, we've, you know, my kid is, my kids are 13 and 11. I know well now that, you know, crap is going to hit the fan on a pretty regular basis. If I spend a lot of energy going, you were a terrible mom, it's not worth it. But I was thinking this morning, because I was thinking about you and your show and your values and your practice, how could I have stayed connected in that moment? How could I have respected his feelings and met those with empathy um, but also we're at a point with him where we're trying to teach him to tolerate some of his own emotions, you know? And so, I don't know, I think our atypical kids challenge us to have understanding, empathy, respect, and, and to meet them where they're at. And, and I, I think that whether it's ADHD, autism, learning differences, anxiety and depression, there are genuine roadblocks that you and me and other parents in our shoes have to connecting with their kids and respecting where they're at in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, I, I totally agree with you. You, you. Being at war with what is like, this just is right. My kid is this way. My kids are this way. And me fighting what is only makes me feel more anxious and depressed. And, you know, it's crazy town in my head, right? She just, at some point you do have to say, okay, this is my kid and this is the way things are going. And, uh, and again, that's a, that's a practice and a, a practice just every day you like every day I commit to this every single day, because at some point someone's going to tell me to shut up or say something rude to me or whatever. And I, boy, do I ever want to stay in love, not in power over, in fear, in anger. You know, I don't want to do that. So, um, you know, I want to, I want to pivot a little bit because I want to talk about, we're talking about ADHD a lot. We're talking about autism a lot. And, you know, I feel like maybe this is a silly question, but, but I also don't think it is because I think it, 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 it's, it's important to kind of like, okay, what exactly are we talking about? And there may be people right now listening that are thinking their child might be ADHD, or maybe they have an ADHD child. Maybe they don't believe it. I don't know. Let's talk about what the three core symptoms are of ADHD and the two core impairments of autism. And, and that, and I, and I say that also so that it gives us a lens to look through, like you said, like if I look through the autism lens, that's a perfectly normal thing to do. Right. Um, So let's talk about those, if you don't mind. Oh, I love it. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, let's start with something you said earlier. We in this culture use those terms in casual language, like, well, you know, everyone has a little ADHD. Oh, that's my OCD. I think (laughs) we as parents of kids who legit have those diagnoses have to have some grace for other people. Yeah. And it would be great for other people to understand 
what does that actually mean clinically? Because yes, not everyone focuses all the time and everyone does stare out the window sometimes, but that is different from having a child who meets the clinical definition and criteria for an ADHD disorder, right? And so let's try not to minimize the experiences of people who have a legit diagnosis and their parents when sure, everyone does have trouble focusing sometimes, that's not ADHD, you know? So in order to receive an ADHD diagnosis, which has specific clinical criteria, the child has to have, and I mean, this is relevant to adults too, but I'm talking about children because that's our focus today, an inability to regulate attention, right? So that looks like an inability to focus sometimes, but where I think we really want to understand this is the brain isn't regulating attention. And so the kid is unfocused and inattentive, but it becomes so clear to people when you say to people, do you have to try to focus? And they're like, no. Well, I mean, sometimes I'm tired, but on an everyday basis, I don't have to tell myself to focus. Okay. That's the difference is the kid with ADHD, their brain isn't regulating the attention. And so that's the first core symptom. The second thing is the impulsivity. And so impulsivity is simply knowing better, but not being able to do better. Okay. It's knowing that cheating is wrong, but impulsively deciding to copy the answers of the kid next to you when you're in the test, right? It's knowing that you shouldn't get the study guide from someone else and change the name on it and turn it in as your own, but doing that. It's knowing that you shouldn't sneak into the kitchen and get the cookies before dinner, but doing it. And, and the impulsivity is a core component of ADHD. And again, it goes back to self-regulation in the brain. And then some kids have the hyperactivity component and other kids do not. And I think it's important to know that hyperactivity can be physical, which is kind of what I think many people still have a, a vision of as, you know, the kid running around, you know, the kid who can't stop touching things, but verbal hyperactivity is another way that that can manifest itself. And so those are the three core symptoms and a child in order to receive an ADHD diagnosis must exhibit those symptoms across different settings and to a certain intensity. So the kid who just sometimes can't focus is not going to meet the criteria for ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, totally. Okay. So can't regulate uh, attention, impulsivity, and the third and hyperactivity. is hyperactivity. Right. And I like how you said that like hyperactivity is not just with your whole entire body. It could be talking. Yeah. Right. Oh my yes. gosh. Yes. Which, uh, you know, again, I don't want to, I don't, my poor, my poor son, he knows I talk about him on, on my podcast and he is giving me permission, but like, you know, when we all get together for like a family dinner, uh, he takes over, he takes mm-hmm. over. And my dad, uh, who's passed away now, but my dad was always the center of attention. And it was hard for him because my son would always just, he'd just be like, 
talking, 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 and just couldn't, just couldn't, couldn't stop, right? And if you tried to stop him, then he'd get mad, he'd get upset at you, all that stuff. Oh my gosh, yes. Okay, so yes. Okay, that's good. Okay, now what about, oh, and oh, sorry, I wanted to say one thing too. Here's the thing, that when we see those kinds of things, if we don't understand that that just is that behavior, or maybe we don't have a diagnosis and we don't understand it, we want to punish our kids because they're acting that way. And how unfair is it to punish them, take things away from them, talk to them, you know, with all the love drained out of our voices, you know, power over them, stand over them, you know, all that kind of stuff, scare them, uh, hurt them for something that is not their fault, right? That's devastating to me. Well, and I would agree with you, you know, my practice, we do academic and ADHD coaching. So we really work intensively with kids um, in the academic setting. And I can't tell you how many parents are given the ADHD diagnosis and they don't know what tools they should have at their disposal, right? Nobody's, it's a weird thing to me, the way we diagnose ADHD. If your kid had diabetes, you'd go to the class at the children's hospital, you know, if your kid had cancer, you know, the oncologist would explain things to you all the time. I think there's something strange about ADHD, but honestly, so many times parents think that the only recourse they have is to say, try harder, right? Focus. Mm. You need to try harder. And then this is where we end up in the cycle of shame and blame. I'm trying as hard as I possibly can. And I can't get my brain to do what you think it should be able to do because your brain does work that way. And now I feel terrible about myself, you know, telling kids to try harder is not an effective intervention for ADHD. Telling your kid to focus is not a way that will help the brain focus. That is so, that's so true. You kind of just blew my mind. You're absolutely right when I think back to, yeah, okay, he's got ADHD. Nobody told me what to do with that. You're absolutely right. Um, except here's some medication he should be on. Right. Which, I mean, that was another real big struggle to even consider that for me, you know, uh, for my, for my child. Um, so yeah, that's wow. That's so, so true. Okay. We got to change that we got to change that, Dr. Noreen. we got to do it. we got to change that. I really think <laughs> there should be something that every parent gets when you get the ADHD diagnosis because it's so stigmatized. It is so judged in our culture. It is so misunderstood. So judged, and misunderstood, yeah. Parents need support. I think there should be something in every pediatrician's office. Mm-hmm. I think every psychologist should have some kind of brochure, whether that's put out by Chad, the American Academy of Pediatrics, people need to be educated. And I'll tell you, sitting in the psychologist's office, digesting a 20 page report that can be beautifully done. I mean, listen, I have dozens of psychologist friends. I love them dearly. I love their work. I read their reports as a parent sitting in the feedback meeting. I can barely digest the diagnosis much less the beautiful 20 recommendations you've crafted for me. And then I'm going to go home and I'm going to be in grief and I'm going to be in shock. And then I'm going to come back to that and I'm not going to know what to do. I really strongly believe that there is a role 
from, and, and I think it's going to have to come from the American Academy of Pediatrics to say, this is the brochure that mm-hmm. you get when you get an ADHD diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do know of a couple of things that are independent of, you know, going to your pediatrician and, and that sort of thing. There is the esteem app, which is, um, done, uh, Dr. Tommy Black, I had him on my show a while ago talking about ADHD, and he's one of the developers of that. There's also um, Children's Hospital here. So um, uh, yeah, BC's Children's Hospital, so uh, British Columbia's Children's Hospital. Um, and I'm trying to remember the, the name of the, the other site. But anyway, they have a course that's free called Rolling with ADHD. But nobody ever told me about that. I had to find, I found that out through other sources, right? Um, so there, there, there is some help. And, and as a Canadian, that, that's what I know of here. Uh, and then that, that app is not just for Canada, but um, that's all self-directed, right? That's, that's not like, here, family, let me take you in. Let me tell you all the ups and downs that are going right. to happen, right? Like, let's compare that to a much simpler problem. Your kid has a vision problem, right? Oh, you go to the pediatrician's office, every year they screen their vision, right? So you kind of know, okay, my pediatrician's got my back, first line. Then your school often has vision screenings, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If your kid fails either one of those two, so we have kind of two gatekeepers, then you know you need to go to an eye doctor, right? You go to the eye doctor, the eye doctor does the exam, then you know what, right there in the office, what are you told about the vision problem? You're told your kid needs what? Glasses. Glasses. You're not told, well, if you want to, you could go look at some glasses down the street. Yeah. Right? You're not told, oh, well, if you want to, you could consider, you know, a school plan for your kid with a vision problem. No, you're told your kid needs glasses, right? Mm -hmm. This is the treatment. Let us help you pick out some glasses. Which glasses do you like? Do you like the blue glasses? Do you like the red glasses? Are they comfortable? Okay, let's order them. Let's adjust them. Okay, anytime you need an adjustment, just come in here and we'll fix them. Do you want the breakage policy? Yep. Okay, they broke. Let's order a new pair for you. Oh, it's been a year. I'm going to send you a reminder card. It's really all I want for my kid with ADHD too. Yeah. 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 I want the yearly checkup. I mm-hmm. want the free breakage plan. I want the, the comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody to get me to say, to say all those things. Yeah. No, I, I completely, uh, I completely agree. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. There's not a support. You can go find all kinds of support, but there's nothing inherent in the system. You know, this makes me think of, so I, I'm a sort of a documentary junkie and uh, one of the, the providers we have here is called Crave and it allows us to see HBO uh, documentaries. And so I got really excited because like HBO documentaries, like they've got to be good, right? And so I watched this one that just made me sick, so sick and so sad. It was called The Dangerous Child. Um, and you should watch it uh, because these parents, what they experience, I have had experiences like that. And one of the moms said, so, so she, it, it, this all sort of, well, I don't know how it all came about, but 
when when Adam uh, is it Adam Lanza, he there was the school shooting, and she wrote an article saying, "I am Adam Lanza's mom." Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. And of course she wasn't because he had killed his mother um, because she was saying, I am, I am here knowing my kid needs help and there is nobody here helping me. Right. And I know this a little bit side sideways, a little bit where I'm taking this, but you know, what, what my whole point is that she said, there's no casserole for this. This isn't a casserole, right? If your kid had cancer, oh, you know, let's bring you meals. You know, yes, that's that's very difficult. Yes, 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 of course. But there isn't that for us, right? There, there is no fundraiser for us, right? There's no, there's no walk for me. There's no, you know, there's no like rallying around us because my kid's kind of a jerk sometimes, a lot of times, right? It's, he's repellent sometimes. Right. So anyway, I just, I just thought of that. And I just thought like, you know, no, it's so funny. You bring up all these things. Cause of, I, of course I feel exactly the same way. And in the U S there's a big autism speaks walk. Yeah. And I, for the love of, of all things that, that are great about what that organization is trying to do. I think to myself, what kid with autism is going to the huge autism walk <laughs> around all of these crowds of people, right. all of this noise, too much sensory input, completely unpredictable. What will the brand of the water bottle be for my kid who's so taste sensitive, right? What happens <laughs> if we get halfway through the walk and we can't do it anymore? Like, and right now it must be going on where I live because the billboards are up. And I, I just think that that is fascinating to me as a research psychologist person, you know, what does that look like? Who are those kids who can go on an autism walk with thousands of people all around them and a bullhorn? Like I, I, I really, and probably the autism walks, people are going to contact me and say, it's not like that at all, which is great, you know, but there's just, and I think this comes back to, to where we started today. There is a disconnect in many ways between the experience we live and the experience of parents who are raising kids without neurodevelopmental disorders. The same way there's a disconnect between us and parents who have kids who have cancer, right? The same way there's a disconnect between us and parents who have, you know, chronic physical conditions. We can very easily be disconnected as human beings. I think the difference is that so much of what we wrestle with as parents is misunderstood and unfairly judged by other people. And it is the severity of that is not understood sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I've been to that walk, by the way, and you're right. <laughs> I have been to the walk here in Vancouver. Oh. When I used to work for McDonald's restaurants, we sponsored the walk. Uh, so it was, I went with my kids and you're right. 
you're right. It, I, I don't know how I don't know how anybody with sensory issues would really want to do that walk. <laughs> you're absolutely right. I never thought of that before. Um, but what you just said leads me to um, to say this, and that is that I think we just need to stop judging each other. We need to start giving grace to each other. We need to say, you know, if you see a mom who looks like she's being run ragged, like put your arm around her as if it's if it's okay and not pandemic times. But you know, like, hey, you know what? I see you. It looks like you're struggling. You know what I want to advocate for is ask questions and listen, right? Yes, change what you're thinking when you see that family, that mom, that dad, that kid, when you see the atoms of the world. Yes, change your inner dialogue. But when you have someone in your family or you have a neighbor or you have a friend, seek to understand, say to that parent, you know, I watch you, right? I watch you with Sammy. And I'm so in awe of your patience, but I know that it goes a lot deeper than that. Will you tell me more about Sammy and, and what it's like to be her mom? Because I would just like to understand that as, as a person who cares about your kid, Mm. you know, I do want us to stop judging, but I also want us to actively seek understanding in the same way that when the kid has cancer, we say, what did the oncologist say today? We say, how's chemotherapy going, right? Actively try for the people who are in your circle to listen and understand what their experience is like. And they don't, they don't need that much, right? Like I have a few people in my circle who ask me all the time and that, that fills me up, you know, like we're not going to become glomming, annoying, you know, constant talking about our kids meltdowns and 504 plans and IEP plans. We we're still whole people. Asking is an act of love. Mm, Very true. I love that. I really do. So true. So true. We, we just need that for each other. We just need to, you know, and I think that that models for our kids that they can do the same for those kids. So for those typical kids to say, Hey, you know what? Like you can be my friend. You act a little wild. Sometimes you do this. Sometimes you do that. Sometimes you don't look me in the eye or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, but I could still be your friend. Why not? You know? Um, so I love that. So let's just cover off those two, um, the two, uh, core impairments of autism. Cause we, we didn't get there yet. We have, I just feel like I could talk to you all day, uh, but let's, yeah, let's do those. <laughs> right. No, I think this is an important point and I'm glad you brought us back around to it. So in order to receive an autism diagnosis, which is different from just being quirky, right. Is there need to be fixed and repetitive interests or behaviors. Okay fixed and repetitive interests or behaviors. So these are the things that kids have an obsession with, or these are the behaviors that they engage in, in kind of a tick way, or they flap Mm. their hands, or they only want to learn about trains, or they're obsessed with wolves, you know, they have fixed repetitive interests. And I think it's important to understand that for kids with autism, this reduces their anxiety in the world. This is how the world makes sense to them because processing 
the typical world can be overwhelming for them. And so they have these interests that, you know, they're really able to hone in on and make sense of, and it gives them a sense of peace and calm. And then the other piece is impaired social communication. So what that really means is that there is often a lack of reciprocity, right? Mm. Your kid with autism can have great language skills. They can have great vocabulary. They can sound so smart. They can be extroverted. They can be curious about people. But when it comes down to that simple process that neurotypical people take for granted of a conversation that goes back and forth, that Mm. builds on itself, where both people are understanding, mirroring, reflecting, active listening, that is difficult for people with autism. So you have to meet a clinical threshold of impairment in both those areas um, in order to get an autism diagnosis. Okay, okay. You know, I think that does really help. Um, I know that there are, you know, parents that I work with that are, you know, they come to me really stressed and worried about their kids and they kind of don't know where to start, right? And so really defining the three um, symptoms of ADHD and the the two core impairments of autism, uh, I think is really helpful. Let me just ask you one thing really quickly before we sign off. um, And that is, you're saying autism, um are we now and not that it matters but i think it does language is important are we now saying that it's just you're on the spectrum or do we say you have autism because it was autism asperger's right and so on and so on so uh, what are we calling it now <laughs> so I, I i think i mean when i'm speaking with parents or i'm speaking to teachers or professionally i will often say kids on the spectrum or kids with autism. I don't like the term autistics. Um, I think that for various, for people who are in various stages of owning that and claiming that there Mm. is something that feels softer about on the spectrum than he has autism, especially for people who were used to Asperger's, which seem to somehow have less emotional impact, like autism. And I I understand what they're doing with it. And, you know, I don't really have an opinion about it, but it does tend to, you know, bring up cases in your mind of, oh, my kid is like other kids who have, you know, severe autism. And yes, your kid is in the sense of they seem to have the same impairments but your kid isn't that kid. So I, I, I I think saying, you know, a kid with autism or a kid on the spectrum, um, either one to me is fine. Those are the things I tend to say professionally. I, I do like, I've seen recently some ideas that, you know, we have to be clear that it's not a unidimensional spectrum that, 
it goes from mild to severe because there's lots of different aspects of the spectrum. You know, it's a little bit more like where do they fall? I've seen this great graphic that is that uses a rainbow graphic and, and kind of looks at all the different areas of impairment for autism and then says, you know, is your child kind of mild, moderate or severe on on each of those? Because it is. It's more complicated than you have a mild cold, you have a bad cold. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that, okay, thank you for that. I think that's that's great. And, you know, I, I wanna say, regardless of what my kids' diagnoses are, I would not parent any other way than the way I'm parenting right now, because I truly believe that if you can have a strong connection with your child, typical, neurotypical, that just sets them up for the future to know that they're loved and lovable, to know that they are heard, their words matter, their thoughts, their ideas matter. And, you know, to also be able to relate to their emotions and other people so that when the bottom falls out of life or adversity comes their way, they have a better chance at handling this. And all of this is good for any child. So that's what I strongly believe. And you are giving us some tips for the the toolbox on how to connect with your non-neurotypical child. And that's gonna really help everybody. I wanna thank you so much for that. Um, That's really gonna be helpful. And so that is at uh, www.parent-toolbox.com. You just join us there. Um, You just become a member. It's totally free to join. And there's like over a hundred different tools in there. Dealing with all different kinds of things. You'll find things that you may not even realize that you wanted to look at that are there and free for you to take, download, and keep, uh, and just help you to be the parent of your dreams, the parent that you always wanted to be, that you dreamed of, you know, when that little baby was inside and you were, you know, about to, about to give birth. So that is just wonderful. And so we are actually this is part one of part two, because what we're going to do now is we're going to dive into some more uh, or next. So next week, you're going to listen to us with part two, where we're going to try dive into just some more strategies, some more things that are going to help us be the best parents we can for these kiddos. Right. Yeah. I'm super excited to talk about that. And I think this helps people with the understanding, which creates the empathy and the want to do better. And then next week, we're going to set them up with, okay, so how do you do better when you have a challenging, complex kid? Yes. All right. Stay tuned for that. Thanks so much, Dr. Noreen Russell. I love you already. And this has been a wonderful conversation and I can't wait to talk to you again. So talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.